I want to say happy Sabbath once again. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Last week, last week we started a series called A New World, A New World. And the sermon last week was about how we treat strangers in our circle, whether that circle is our church or our community, our home, our town, right? In the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, it tells us that we should treat strangers as if they were our neighbors. We should treat them as if they were one of our own, that they should benefit from the same rights that we have, right? And, but not only that, Jesus even quoted that, uh, that passage and said that you should love your neighbor, you should love these strangers as you love yourself, right? You should love uh, as you would love uh, yourself. So today, we continue on with this thought. I just wonder if this needs a battery. It's just being stubborn. Um, mind clicking the next slide, Dad? Our thought today continues on with this topic called The New World, A New World. But the title today is A Coat for a Cold World, A Coat for a Cold World. You know, when I came to Colorado in June 2003, I went to visit my wife, then my girlfriend at the time. She took me to Rocky Mountain National Park. Who's ever been there? Oh, yeah, yeah, look at all these hands. It's a beautiful place. It's gotten so popular and so busy that now you have to reserve for uh, reserve a time for you to go there. That's how busy they've become. But when Bobby took me there in June of uh, 2003, I never, it never dawned on me that I should take a coat. So we drove up. Uh, to the road, and we were hoping that we would get to Trail Ridge, but the road was closed because the snow had not yet been plowed. So around 10,500 feet of altitude, there's a turnoff there. You might recall that turnoff where it's an overlook, and it's a pretty big turnoff where there's lots of parking, and you could stop right there, and then you could come out of the car and enjoy the scenery, right? And so that's what Bobby and I do. We, we stop, and the second I got out of the car, I felt a cold wind. Remember, I'm from Texas, okay? So I felt that cold wind just pierce my face. It felt like knives stabbing me. And then the chill, the chill and the cold didn't stop there. It went all the way down to the rest of my body because why? I didn't have the proper coat, the proper attire. I was uh, left to my own devices. But nonetheless, I didn't let that stop me. I still went out there, took my pictures, and then Bobby and I proceeded on with seeing other parts of Rocky Mountain National Park. So if I get your attention, if I could get your attention on the key text here today, it's from Genesis 3, verse 21 through 23. And it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothe them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been created from. I love this text, I love this verse. Uh, this 
this verse especially tells us a lot about the relationship dynamic between God, Adam, and Eve. It also tells us a lot about God's loving grace, and I'll expand more on that in a little while. It also tells us that when God was going to have Adam and Eve transition into a new world, he was going to prepare them for this new world. Did you, have you ever stopped to think about that? Because the whole theme that we have in this series is called A New World. At the time of Adam and Eve, there were two worlds. Two worlds. Thank you, Richard. Two worlds. You had the first world, world A, and I'm not talking about two different earths, not two different earths. There were two different cultures there. The first culture, the first world, was the untarnished, the perfect, pure, innocent, righteous world that God had created with no sin, with no death, right? That was Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And then in Genesis chapter 3, you know the preceding verses of this chapter. The, the preceding verses tell us that, that the serpent comes out and deceives Adam and Eve. He deceives Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve partake of that forbidden fruit. And once they bite into that forbidden fruit, what was the next thing they realized? They realized they were naked. Not just physically naked, but the righteousness, the innocence has now left them. And they experienced that. That's the second world. You have the created, perfect, pure, loving, sinless world. And after the fall, then you had this world of sin, death, and what we experience today. And so this passage, this part of the story is so important for us to understand because Adam and Eve are at the point of transitioning from that first world into this new world of darkness, chaos, death, sickness. This was the first time I actually looked at it from that perspective. Can you imagine what that world must have been like where there was no death? Where you walked with God every single day. But because of poor choices, you have to leave that world. And we'll talk more about that on why they had to leave. But let's talk about this phrase up here. It says that God made garments of skin. Here's what I want to propose today. I want us to explore this new world in the eyes of Adam and Eve, what that must have looked like, how scary that must have been for them, okay? And as we look at this passage, we're going to see things about God on that despite of the, the failure that Adam and Eve had, despite of their sin, God was still loving to them. God still loved them. And the first phrase that we have here that's highlighted, God made garments of skin, that is proof of his love. Don't take that lightly. Don't take that phrase lightly because this phrase has great significance for you and me. And here's the significance of the garments of skin. I got this. I forgot to put the source and I'm sorry. The source is from our Seventh-day Adventist commentary, volume one off of the book of Genesis. 
The garments of skin represented, uh, it was durable for hard work, for hard labor. That's what Adam and Eve was about to transition to. Before they had, they had work, but it was not going to be as laborious as what was going to be now as they're entering this fallen world, right? This fallen world. And so God provided them garments of skin that would be durable for this hard labor. Number two, it would also protect them against the extremes of heat and cold. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how many garments of skin God made for Adam and Eve, and we don't need to know that. What we do need to know is that it was going to be enough for them to face the elements of this fallen world. I guess that's what I'm going to call this, this world, world B, the fallen world, right? Number three, garments of skin was also a reminder for Adam and Eve of their lost innocence. Number four, a reminder of God's unending love and a reminder that death, a reminder of death as the wages of sin. It's the natural consequence when you and I sin. If a person does not repent of their sins, the natural consequence of your sin will be death if you don't repent. And then the last part, number six, The garments of skin is also a reminder that there is going to be a Messiah that will come to save humanity from sin. That the garment of skin that was made for Adam and Eve was really a representation or a preview of Jesus. Now we have to think about this garment of skin. You and I have clothes. Who's wearing cotton today? I don't know if you even bothered to look at whether you're wearing cotton. Who's wearing wool? Those are different materials, right? And now, due to our modern age, we have, uh, what, what do you call that, synthetics, right? Made from plastic and other material. But back then, if you wanted something really durable, it would have to be skin. When I was a kid... That's the first time I learned the definition, or the, I, that's the first time I heard the word epidermis, right? You know what epidermis is? What's epidermis? Yeah, your outer layer of skin. It's the part that we see. Well, as kids, we made a joke. We said, your epidermis is showing. And if, the, if your classmate or your friend didn't know what an epidermis was, they were like checking their nose. What? What? They always check their nose first. Like, what? My epidermis is showing. What's an epidermis? It's your skin. Now, the skin is very important. It protects our organs. It protects our muscles. It keeps everything intact, right? And it hurts if you prick it. If you take a needle or a nail and and you you prick it, it, it bleeds. The skin is very important. Now, there is no creature in this world that I know of that if you were to skin it, it would stay alive. We would die. It would probably take minutes, maybe hours, but we will eventually die. So the point I'm making here is that when God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, a life had to be sacrificed. A life had to be sacrificed. If you were to read Genesis chapter 4, we can make the assumption through context that the, the animal that was sacrificed was a lamb. A lamb had to be sacrificed for the poor choices of Adam and 
Eve. Garments of skin. Now, what's the other thing that I want to point out about this garments of skin? Who was the one that prepared it for them? It was God who prepared it for them. I guess it's safe to say that the first person to ever make a sacrifice on this world was who? It was God who made the sacrifice. Because it tells us clearly that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife so that he could do what? He could clothe them. So that's the next point I want to make in regard to how we see God's love in this passage is he made garments of skin. And then the second point is that he clothed them with that skin. That's a sign of love if there's anything out there to show what love is. There's parents in here and there's children in here. And there's the children, if I were to ask you, if I could ask you kids, how do you know your parents love you? Well, one of the things that you would say is, my parents provide clothes for me, shelter, food, right? What? Toys. toys. Yes, the most important part of them all, the toys that comes with it. No, but, but parents will clothe you, right? Parents will clothe you. And parents, you do clothe them, regardless of whether they are uh, infant or toddler age or the age of where they can dress themselves, you're still providing clothes. Even for a 12-year-old, you're the one buying them clothes because, because you love them. This is a beautiful passage of the transition of how Adam and Eve is coming from this unfallen world and going now into this fallen world. It was a strange place for them. I really feel it was a strange place for them. Such a strange place that they didn't know how to take care of their needs. That God had to show them in a way. From now on, moving forward, this is how you're going to make a house. How you're going to tend your garden. And how you're going to clothe yourself. The verse continues on, the passage continues, and it says, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us. That's the Trinity talking right there, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The man has now become like one of us. Of course, man, it's talking about Adam and Eve collectively, not just one person. Uh, They have become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished humanity, Adam and Eve, from the Garden of Eden in order to work the ground from which he had been taken from. This brings me into the third point. The third point of how we still see love despite the fact that God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. You might say though, you know, Pastor Ed, that just sounds so horrendous for God to kick them out of the Garden of Eden. That sounds horrible, if anything. Why would he leave them to their own devices in this fallen world? Why not keep them in there? Well, in the context of this passage alone, it tells us that there is some connection with how long we live and to the food that... to the tree of life that we eat from. It tells us here that if they were to stay in there, in the Garden of Eden, and if they continue to eat from the tree of life, they would endure the the 
consequences and the wages of sin for all eternity. Now, you and I have lived for how long? I'm 40 years old, 43 years old. We have some people in here, some young lives who are 7, 12, 14, and some others who are 70s and maybe even older. You and I, in the small aspect of life that, you, that we have lived, have experienced sin to some degree, right? Whether it was our own doing or the consequences, consequences of another person, we have experienced sin. We've gotten sick, we have been inj- we've gotten injured, we have suffered death of a loved one perhaps, right? And the list can go on. Now, if I were to ask you, if you can live a life without any of those things, would you take it? Yes. Because why? Even in that small period of time that we've lived, whether it's 12 years old, 43 years old, or 70 years old, we can all agree that it is not fun to live with. It is not good to, to live in this, right? Imagine living forever in this type of state. Imagine living forever with the consequences of sin. Imagine living forever with the pain that sin can bring. And so out of love, out of love, this banishment is really an act of grace by God. Out of love, this banishment is really not out of hate or malice, but it is out of love. It is out of grace. I mean, what choice did God have? Adam and Eve messed up. He could have easily said, okay, I'm going to clean my hands of y'all and start over. But where's the love in that? Where's the forgiveness in that? Where's the long-suffering in that? So instead, God banished them for the purpose that they may learn and repent of their sins and be brought back to God. That banishment had to happen for Adam and Eve. And I think that's why you and I go through struggles even to this day. To paint this picture in a different light, I want to bring your attention to Hebrews 12, verse 7 through 11. Seeing this passage looks at God as our Father. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. We have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? God disciplines us for our good. And here's the why. Why does God discipline us? This is the why. I want you to listen to this part. Here is why God disciplines us for our good. So that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace by those who have been trained by discipline. What I love about this passage The first part, the first highlight here, is that it tells us that we are the children of God. Now, why is this very important? We have to read this in context. 
Paul is the one that wrote this. A lot of theologians it was uh, believe that it was Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews. And in this part of his, at this time of his world, there was a lot of false gods. If you were to look at all the gods in ancient history, whether it was the Egyptian gods of Ra and all the other gods of Egypt, or, or Baal of Canaan, or Dagon of Babylon, or, or in Paul's time, it was the, the, all the gods from Greek influence and the Roman gods of Hera, Zeus, Ares, and Hades, god of the underworld. See, all of these ancient gods were gods who were seen by the people that they were there and we're down here. And sometimes they can be cruel and sometimes they can be mean. So this idea of having a god being called as a father and we are his children was a new concept for the time of Paul. It was a new idea. It was a new world that Paul was trying to present to the people of his time. So to us, it doesn't sound awkward, right? Because we grew up Christians. Some of us were born into the church. This is a fundamental Christian doctrine that God is our heavenly father. But that was not so back in those days. Back in those days, it was a foreign idea to see God in a relational way as a father figure. So Paul is pointing it out. He's saying, endure hardship as discipline for God is treating you as his children. And he says here, how much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? He's trying to tell the people that, the, that God, your relationship to him, he is a personal God. He is a God who wants to be involved in your life. He is a God who wants to know who you are. He, wants, he is a God that wants you, wants you to come to him when life gets hard and difficult to understand. And when you sin, God is a forgiving God. God is a God who gives one chance, two chances, three chances. He's a God of long suffering. And I love how Paul connects the earthly father, the earthly parent, to that of God being our heavenly father. In the, in the second part, the second highlight here that's so important is that God disciplines us for our good. Like he disciplined Adam and Eve. It's for their own good just as much as it is for our own good. What does that mean that we have, that we may share in his holiness? There's something here that is not so obvious. But as Adventist Christians, we may have heard these words before. Repentance, justification, sanctification, glorification. Do you remember those words? Those words are not mentioned in a lot of our churches anymore, but those words still have a lot of meaning. And those words we still experience in our day, uh, in our walk with Jesus, even though we might not really know about it or focus on it. 
So what is justification? Justification is when someone comes to Jesus and they realize how much Jesus loves them, that they want to give their life to Jesus. They want to follow Jesus. And not only follow Jesus, they want to repent of their sins. So they ask God, forgive me of my sins. And what does God do? He forgives you. That's justification. That's repentance. Once justification happens, the person who has given their life to Jesus will then say, I want to walk with Jesus every single day so I can be changed. That is sanctification. Your attitude and your character is being changed to that of like Jesus Christ. And that is where the discipline falls in. God disciplines us for our own good. That's the sanctification part. And then once Jesus returns, as mentioned in the book of Thessalonians, that he himself will come down with the voice of the archangel, that's when the glorification takes place. That's when you and I receive new bodies. That's where we are finally made holy, so that way we may be once again brought to Jesus. If you're following with me, the reason why I presented Hebrews to connect it to Adam and Eve is this. What was once lost at the Garden of Eden, God wants to reinstate it in our life today. That's the point of the message today. What was once lost at the Garden of Eden God wants to gift that to you to reinstate that once again so you can be with him, so you can be with him when he returns to take us home. That's the point. This fallen world should feel strange because it isn't our world. We're too far gone from the time of Adam and Eve I can't even begin to imagine what that must have been like. Some people say that was thousands and thousands of years ago. Some others say it was about 6,000 years ago. I don't really know. I can't side with one or the other. But what I do know is it's so long ago, it's, it's a story to me. But I do believe in the Bible. And I know God's original plan was for us to have an unfallen world of no sickness and dying. But we are now in this fallen world, and what do we do about it? We turn to God. We turn to God, because God is the one who can prepare us to face this world today. And with all the challenges you have, and with all the difficulties that you're going through in life, it's God who can prepare you to face this world in preparation for the world to come. And when God comes, I hope you are there, and I hope I am there in that glorious reunion when he takes us home. Let's have a word of prayer. Blessed Heavenly Father, a new world, a new world, You are the God. You are our Heavenly Father that gives us the proper clothing to face this world. You do all the work, and all we have to do is to believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, that through him, whoever believes in him, 
The promise is, is that we will not perish, but have everlasting life. And this message today is a wonderful reminder for each and every one of us that we have a promise that we can cling to, a promise that we can, can, can grasp onto, that promise that this life we live here, this is temporary. This is not meant for us. We're meant for greater things because you created us. We're meant for greater things because you love us. We're meant to live long. We're meant to praise you. We're meant to live a life for others. And so I pray, O oh Lord, that our life here may, that you may prepare our life here, that you guide our life here in a means where we can be a service of, uh, to others. But in doing so, as we continue to serve one another and as we continue to serve our communities, I also pray that we may always look forward to the future and the glorious home in heaven, O oh Lord, that that may be our ultimate goal and that our ultimate goal also is to walk with Jesus so that we may be transformed into your likeness, O oh Lord. What was once lost at the Garden of Eden, you want to once again reinstate it in our lives, and may we welcome you in that, O Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.